This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call... Alex will answer the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. Call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? And Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes? Uh, you've shared a lot of shots of your backyard and everything mm-hmm. else. I saw on the back of your home you have a screen porch. Yes. Uh, do you have any plants on your screen porch? Yes. Do you? Yes. So you grow house plants, too? Yeah, we sure do. Ah. Yes, who keeps busy with all that stuff? We wow. put out some more plants this week outside in the garden. We have some more to put out this weekend. And we do have some that we move from the house to the back porch, and it's wonderful. Perfect. Yeah. I was just curious. I figured you did, but I didn't. You know, I was just curious. Yep. Do you know what the name of them are? Oh. Oh, sorry. Not offhand. <laughs> I don't want to. If, if we give me a second here, Sue will text them all to me. <laughs> and we'll pass it along. It doesn't really matter. I'm trying to think of what the one it grows. I mean, it's huge, and you can cut it off and replant a stick, and it'll grow again, and we keep. Dracaena? No, no, that doesn't sound familiar. No. Yeah, I'll find out. She'll text me here in a minute. So <laughs> No big deal. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, it, it is a lot of fun, and it sure makes it nice. Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah, yeah. I figured you had to because you love the outdoors and love plant material so much mm-hmm. that uh, you'd have to sort of bring them in close and personal. Yeah, for sure. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks. You bet. Folks, on Saturday morning, we get together, and we discuss what's going on in your backyard. How about that side yard where the, the neighbor's downspouts are just flooding it? And uh, especially garden space. How about the taste of the tropics? Just like I was talking to Brian. He's bringing the tropics out to his screen porch from inside his house. Tropics meaning house plants. And uh, should I use potting mix or potting soil when I'm growing tomatoes in containers? Well, I always potting mix. How to improve your soil, though, when you're trying to grow things in the ground? Should you be pruning this time of year on whatever plant material? And, uh, ooh, what's that? Th- what's chewing on this thing here? Or what's causing this? Well, those are, could be bugs, diseases. We don't know. And uh, using information that I share, hopefully will m- help you make good decisions and uh, solidify those options with a final judgment obviously going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me onto your show. And uh, wherever you're listening from, it doesn't matter. A very important player in the game is Alex. He's producing, so 
last several weeks he's been producing. But again, if you do call, he just wants your first name and where you're calling from. He doesn't care about the question. The question will come when I say, hi, Mike Miller here and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage is my email address and phone number. This past week, I was in Afton and De Pere. And, I mean, some very unique landscapes in both places. It was uh, It's really neat to see some of the things, how creative some people can be. It was just phenomenal. Not only creative, you know, structurally, plant material-wise and everything else, but just the whole orchestration in both places was uh Almost breathtaking, but uh, it's it's really nice. I'm very lucky to be able to come to people's homes and see what's going on. Of course, now, you know, there are some homes that are a little bit stressed out because of the setting and everything else, but uh, the ones uh, this past Wednesday were not stressed out, but uh, they were very enjoyable, and I helped them out, hopefully. And uh, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. So we look right out onto this area when we are here in the studio. What is this, Studio B? Studio B and uh, the nice, cloudy, breezy morning. The sound of the leaves were rustling. And it was the start of the Memorial Day weekend. Several birds were singing out to that, you know, to that idea, to that thought. The Missouri and United States flag were waving. They are at half staff. The ornamental grasses and variegated liripe were dancing to nature's beat. Some of the bark mulch were migrating down the slope. Boxwood and viburnums hedges were mimicking the outline of the bed space. High on the building facade, a World War Memorial. On This is on the north side of the Soldiers Memorial, which is run by now by Missouri Historical Society. And the base of the flagpole, a plaque reads, City of St. Louis Soldiers Memorial, dedicated May 30th, 1938, to our war dead. Museum rooms open to the public. Well, not right now, this time of year, because of what's going on. But anyway, granite steps go up to the surrounding plaza, and a variety of perennial shrubs run along the foundation. Um, Small leaf micro, small leaf boxwood, cat mint, there's actually a butterweed. Hmm, it looks like he's got in there. Shouldn't be in there. Russian sage, a sweet spire. There, and there's a couple huge winged horses. And right below them, one says loyalty, and the other one says sacrifice. Sign on the wrought iron fence reminds us that during these times, the museums close until further notice. I'm always surprised when I see a rabbit hopping around the soldier's memorial because it I mean, down here in the in the sort of the heart of the city, just a block. I, let's see. I guess two blocks off Tucker and two blocks off of Market. Rabbits are living and having some fun, and uh, it was just a wonderful experience to wander around the Memorial Day or Memorial Soldiers Memorial and uh, all the reminders of everything that's going on. Also, on the back of this, on the north side, there's actually a hookup for electric cars. So if you have an electric car and you want to charge it, you can come down here, wander around the uh, Soldiers Memorial, and just have a good time. So anyway, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. 
Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go, and we're going to start off with Nancy. Nancy, how are you today? Hi. 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 Uh, good morning. I just want to thank you and Alex today. And I have three questions. I have a 12, I think it's 12 by 12 um, raised bed, and I'm seeing, like, grass. It looks like hair plugs. <laughs> so I guess technically uh, I need to get in there and pull all that by hand. Am I right? Uh, or you can, or you can use an herbicide, you know, to kill it off. So, yeah, you can pull it by hand. Just make sure you get the entire root system. Okay, because it is a vegetable garden. Okay. So... At least I've I've made it smaller, and it's 12 by 12. Hopefully I can manage that. <laughs> okay. Another question. I have liriope, and I have daylilies. And the daylilies, obviously, they can get pretty huge. So I'm wondering, when can I, like, switch places with them, or how do you divide them, and when would you do that? That would be at the end of the season, basically. So when we're heading into September, that's when you you can lift them up, divide them, and then replant them because the soil is going to be really warm because we're coming out of summertime, and that uh, accelerates root system established reestablishment. So fall is by far the best time to do that. Is it? Does it matter? Um where to put them or where not to put them. Well, basically, a liriope can handle sun or shade. The daylilies really prefer sun. If you have them okay. even in a part shade situation, they're not going to be quite as spectacular as they are if you have them in full sun. Okay, I appreciate it. Have a great Memorial Weekend. Thank you, Mike. Well, thank you. Bye. And now let's go from Nancy over to Donna's house. Hi, Donna. Hello, Donna. Nope, I guess Donna's not. Hi, Mike. Hi, yes, go ahead, please. Yes, hi. Th- thank you for your show. I, I have three questions, too. Um, I have put down uh, new grass seed uh, in my lawn. I had bare spots and then also in regular lawn on May the 11th. But I have moss uh, in certain spots around my hedges, and I have moss on the tree. So I bought some moss and algae spray, but I wanted to know, since I put the new grass seed down, how long do I have to wait before I can actually use that? I would not use it. I don't think you, it's advisable to use it just in general. It doesn't hurt your tree. And the fact that it's growing on the ground, you may sort of like stymie it for a short period of time, but it's going to come back, so you're just going to be spinning your wheels. Okay. Oh, uh, Okay. And then also I have a yucca plants, and I've noticed I have some quite a few black spots on leaves. What do I do about that? Uh, nothing. Yuccas are very tough. That's probably some kind of physical damage from a hailstorm that could have been who knows how long ago. They really are, I mean, there's very few things that impact them insect-wise or disease-wise, so it's just a, a question of, unfortunately, the aesthetics are not exactly what you want. Okay. Okay, and last question is uh, I have a, small uh, flower box setting that I kind of let go to grass, and now I want to take out the grass and, and put it, use it as a flower box again. So it currently is just, once I take up the, the grass in there, I'll just have old dirt. So I wanted to know, I, do I put potting mix back in that to since I want to put flowers in there. Yeah, if it's a, is it actually a like a window box? Is it something that has a bottom to it? Uh, no, it's it's in it's in the it's in your yard. Okay, so yeah, basically, uh, you can you know add the potting. I don't know how big it is or anything else, but uh, you can use the potting mix for sure. 
but just make sure I wouldn't be in a real hurry to, you know, to replant. So I'd go out there and try to get as much of the, let's say, the weed circumstance out as you possibly can and then wait for a week or so and see what else is going to pop up because you're not going to get them all in the first sweeping through regardless of how careful you are, how well you dig the root systems out or anything else. Okay. And do you advise if I'm going to, since we're almost to June now, that I should go ahead and plant flowers now, or do you think I should wait till fall? No, you can do it now. Uh, do you, are we talking annuals or are we talking perennials? I would like to do perennials. Okay, so if they're going to be available, you can put them in. It's just when you plant going into summertime, which that's basically what June is, it's just going to take a little bit of extra care. So that's where, you know, the problem, I guess the problem could be, is just going to have to, you're going to have to watch rainfall and things along that line. But they're going to be, they'll get established, you know, and be okay. It's just a question of a little extra care if we don't have the rain and things along that line. Okay, very good. Okay, well, thank you for your help, and I appreciate that, and I enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Sure, thank you. And probably what I would do as opposed to using a potting mix, I would use leave the existing soil there after you get all the weed circumstance taken care of, Mm -hmm. and then get like a topsoil compost mix, mix that in with the existing soil, and then plant into that. Oh, perfect. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you again. Certainly, my pleasure. Okay. And now let's go to Barbara's yard. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mike. I have a 20-year-old green ash tree in my front yard, and right across the street, my neighbor has another 20-year-old green ash, and his leaves the last week or two have been brown and dropping, and it looks really sick, and I'm worried about my tree. Is there any – should I worry about mine, or should I just – I mean, can it can it get – uh, can it catch it <laughs> from across the street? <laughs> I guess it could, but I wouldn't be too concerned with it. There's a couple different kinds of trees. I was going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, the sycamores throughout the entire metropolitan area are dropping leaves. I mean, a huge amount of leaves. Some of the ash trees are, too. I think it's weather-related. Now, with his tree, it may be a different circumstance or something else. If it's been healthy all, you know, basically for this 19 years up until now, then... You know, that's not a great sign, but uh, I wouldn't be overly concerned. So mine will be okay and just, you know, keep an eye on it? Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's just, there's so many, our weather's just been so goofy. And even though it's been a lie, his tree's been alive for 20 years. Yeah. With the way the weather's been, it's, you know, everything's kind of on the cusp in a way with plant material. Regardless of how old it is, how well it is, how healthy it is, you just never know. Okay. Okay, thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Lorna, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. I have two questions. One's about uh, a plant called cat's pajamas. I think it's a kind of a catnip. I need to know when is the best time to replant that? Uh, basically... You know, I'm assuming it's going to be, you know, it's in the herb family. So you can pretty much plant them whenever you want. Okay, because I, I haven't planted now. I just was going to move it. Oh, I would not move it going into summertime because you're going to tear up the root systems a lot. If you're buying it new from a garden center or something, then that would be okay. But to dig it up, you know, let's say mess up the root system and then try to replant it and then in facing the summertime I would I'd be really cautious about doing it. I'd if it can if you can, I would leave it where it is and then do the, like I told I think it was the first caller. Uh wait until September and move it at that time. 
Okay, okay. And what you said about uh, the timing to replant or move daylilies, would that apply for the real tiger lilies as well? Yes, definitely. Okay. So, yeah, so those are, you're talking about the Asiatic lilies, the ones that are bulbs. Well, they have the polka dots on them, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the ones that uh, have the bulbs. So just be careful. So they have a, They don't look like grass blades. They look like a single stalk coming up with the flowers, just trumpet-shaped flowers at the top. Yeah. Okay, so just realize that those are bulbs, so you're going to have to go down probably four or six inches to get to where the bulb is. Okay. And so when you dig it up, you know, you can, and again, do that in like mid to late September, early October. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Yep. And both of them uh, really like sunny locations. Good luck. Yeah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Sure. And now let's head to Fenton, and that's where Brad lives. Hi, Brad. Hi, Mike. I've got two questions this morning. One is a well-established hard maple that's got red uh, veins on the bottom of the leaves that are kind of swollen and red, almost looks like a gall. Um what do you suppose that is? Uh, it's a little, yeah, without seeing it, it's a little tough, but I wouldn't be overly worried with it. Okay. Um, two years ago, we put in a peony or a peony. Mm-hmm. And for, first year, we had one nice big bloom. So I thought, well, give it another year and fast forward to this year, and we got one really nice bloom. Uh, is it planted too deep, or what's what's the deal? No, you're probably, it's just maturity as much as anything. So sometimes you have to wait to even just get that one bloom for a couple years. So you're just going to have to be patient for a couple more years. All right. If we decide to move it, wait till fall to move it, or when should we move it? Uh, probably if you're going to do it, you know, get it moved uh, early in the fall. And if you're going to do that, just realize that you're going to set it back again. So those two years that you've already had invested time-wise for maturity slash flowering, you've, got, you've kind of erased those. Okay. Well, does planting it too deep cause them not to bloom? Basically, yeah, but you're not going to get any flowers. So those eyes that are on the, the say on the top of the uh, the root system, the crown, uh, they they should be only about an inch below the ground. Okay, because it had lots of buds on it, but only one of them matured. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a matter of in a, in reality, it's kind of good that they didn't because. It really stresses any kind of plant out, and especially a new, newly planted or newly installed plant uh, when they do flower. So, you know, it just makes it, uh, let's say, less healthy overall. Very good. We'll give it another year. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. And Thanks. let's see if we can get another call in and go to Kay, and she lives in Kirkwood. Hi, Kay. Good morning. Hi. I have a question uh, about clover it's taking over my yard and i wonder what you would recommend for getting rid of it it's a you know it's a really tough one um basically uh are you opposed to herbicides no oh so i mean the best killer is going to be the roundup oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) okay well what you can do is you know there is a weed be gone they've kind of upgraded it and made it there's let's say the normal one and now they've kind of Let's say gave it another plus, and okay. you could try that first if you wanted. Get just get a small amount, or the smallest you possibly can, and try it and see if it's effective. Okay, and, and that's a spray. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so All like right. a, a trigger sprayer, 
and just, you know, make sure it's not going to rain or anything. Except I was surprised. I sprayed some Weed Be Gone on some weeds in my lawn, and about an hour later, it rained. So I thought, oh, gosh. But actually, it becomes pretty effective after one hour. So I was, you Oh, know, excellent. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Great, and thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Bye now. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, we've got a couple phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to DePair and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Um, Thanks for the call. Um, I have some pyrocanthus that are in full bloom right now, Mm -hmm. and in the fall they get those nice orange berries. When is the proper time to prune those? Basically, if you prune them now, then you're not going to get the berries. So the best thing to do is, you know, when we're coming out of, let's say, wintertime, sometime around Valentine's Day, uh, or, you know, early in the spring, prune them at that time. So not not in the fall after the, after the berries. No, yeah, I mean you could do it then, but the, if you want them, it just depends upon how long you want to look at the berries. If the berries start to you know, let's say diminishing aesthetically, you could do it then. But I'd prefer to not do any pruning, you know, because we're going to be later in the season. If we have a severe okay. winter, it could do some sure. damage. So um, in, in the heart months, do it. Okay, thank right. so much. Right. Okay. Bye bye. And now let's go from Mary over to Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Good morning, Mike. Enjoy Hi. your show. Well, thank you. I've got two questions for you this morning. Uh, we have very early daffodils, and the the, uh, the leaves are starting to yellow. And I was wondering, I want to dig them up and move move some around. Uh, what would be the proper procedure? And uh, do I have to wait to October to replant them? You should really wait. So you should go ahead. You can cut the foliage off. You know right where they are. Dig them up now and just, you know, sort of spread them out on newspaper or put them in paper bags and then install them in the fall. Okay. Now I have uh, two holly bushes, and I'd like to propagate some of them. Can I take cuttings and do that, and how do I do that? Basically, you can, you know, take some cuttings. It's not going to be easy. You have to, you know, get some rooting hormone so you're going to take the cuttings. You don't want more than probably like six to eight, maybe nine inches of it. Make the cut at a 45-degree angle. Then dip, dip it into that rooting hormone and get some uh, potting mix and put it in. Put You're going to grow them in pots, not in the ground. And grow right. them in pot, you know, put them in the pot and put them in a potting mix for starting plant material. Then sink the pot into the ground. Leave it in that spot for a couple years until the thing gets established. Thank you. Yep, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not exactly hard to take, you know, woody plant, you know, material cuttings and have success with it, but it's not going to be a, a real easy process either. So just enjoy it and be patient. Okay, thank you. Yep, and now let's go over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hi. I uh, was wanting to put in a lettuce garden and radishes and stuff. And as I was reading up, it sounded like it was more of a um, fall and spring kind of thing, and I would, and I just wondered if if I'd waited too long uh, yes. to put it in. Yeah, you've waited way too long. I've, you know, in my I grow uh, daffodils and tulips in pots, 
And basically, like probably in the first of March, I got some lettuce seed and I sprinkled them around on, in the pots with the daffodils. So they're already up. They've been growing. But if you try that, you know, those, you know, the lettuce this time of year, it's going to be a complete failure. Okay, so when should I wait? Can I put it in and wait and put it in in the fall? Yeah, you could try it in the fall. See, you know, basically it's not an ideal time to do it, but because our growing, you know, periods during each day is less and less and less. But yeah, a fall planting would be fine. Probably uh, as soon as the ground starts cooling down, so I'd probably wait until mid to late September to put the seed out. And then you'll probably be harvesting sometime around, oh, let's say around. Probably not quite to Halloween, but close to it. Okay. Um, may I ask, I got a second question, too. I've been looking into putting in blackberries, and I wanted to put in some raspberries, you know, and I had read that they were close. You had to keep them far apart, as much as 35 to 40 feet apart, uh, so they wouldn't crossbreed. Does that sound right? Well, it sounds a little bit extreme. I don't know exactly how they're going to cross-pollinate and uh, and what that would actually do. Because of you know blackberries and raspberries are kind of cousins of each other, and I don't I wouldn't be overly concerned with that. Okay, perfect, Mike. Thanks. I enjoy your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, it's uh you know kind of thirty five feet apart. It's like I mean if it's they're wind pollinated, so consequently the wind's going to blow the pollen who knows how far. So that you know that kind of idea just seems a little abstract. Now we're headed over to Steve's. Hi, Steve. Yeah, uh, hi there. Hi. What do, uh, I got a zoysia lawn. Uh, you think a person should put a fungicide down on there this year? Not necessarily. I mean, if you wanted to, you could, but uh, you, what you need to do is just get down on your hands and knees in your lawn and look at the blades right where they're coming up out of the ground. And if you see some fuzziness on the individual grass blades, you might want to put a fungicide down. But this is the time of year when the zoysia is really starting to take off. So this is the time of year where fertilizing would be more of my concern than putting a fungicide down. Yeah, I've, I've fertilized it, but I didn't know about the fungicide. Or yeah, I wouldn't, just as a preventative type thing, Unless you're unless you've had a history of fungus or something like that, I wouldn't just do it for the sake of doing it. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. And yeah. now let's go over to Blake's. Hi, Blake. Hello, Blake. Are you there? I am here. Hello. Hi. Hi. Question about uh, my neighborhood has these uh, problem with the oak trees where it has all the little black balls on it. Right. I have an oak tree that does not have those black balls yet. Is there anything preventative that I can do to keep it from getting those? Uh, base, well, some of the oaks don't get it. So mainly it's a red oak group as opposed to the white oak group. So, I mean, if you've got a white oak, then you're not going to have the problem regardless. And what it is is just it's a small wasp that lays the female lays the eggs on the stems. When they, when they hatch, they burrow in and cause that bloating, that gall. And so if you don't have it, uh, I mean, if you want to have an injection done, you can, but you have to have it injected every year. So I don't know expense-wise what you're, you know, how much that's going to be or anything else. So it's just, it's kind of strictly up to you. But if, if the leaves are roundish as opposed to really pointed on the tips, then you've probably got a white oak and you don't have to worry. Well, okay. Then I have a white oak. 
so maybe I'll just let it be. Yeah, because okay. well, they don't get the, the for some reason the you know the wasps don't go and cause problems for the white oaks like they do with the red oak group. Wow. Okay. Well, good to know. Thank you so much for the information. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Gail and she or and to Kirkwood. Hi, Gail. Hi. So my iris this year, and I think everybody else's, have just been spectacular. Yes. And I have a few um, unusual colors, and I I just, I want to know, can I divide those? It seems like they're just one plant right now, but if I dug them up in the fall, can you break up that tuber and create two from that? I just would like to see more of certain colors. Just so where you break it, just so there looks like a joint. So, in other words, a narrow part to the tuber, if it's the same diameter the whole length, then you might be causing problems for, you know, to divide it. But if it's got a more or less a joint look to it, then you can pop it at those joints, let that dry before you, ins- you know, reinstall it. Okay, so any of them at this point, once they're done flowering, if I do want to move any of them, I need to wait and then let them dry and then plant them in the fall? Right, exactly. So just cut the, you know, when they finish flowering, cut the flowers off, let them sort of build themselves up by leaving the foliage, and then do it at that time. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Certainly. And let's get another call in. Let's go to South County. And Kathy, how are you? Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Um, I've got a couple of questions. In South County, maybe it's all over, we have had holes in the yard, about the size of golf balls in the garden, in the yard. I don't know if they're chipmunks or voles or moles or what can you do about them? I mean, I've heard everything from mothballs. Uh, basically, have you stuck a stick down there or something so you see how deep they are? It might just be I squirrels have. digging. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, they they don't have anything else to do, so that's what they. But if <laughs> if you if you see if, the, if there's a tunnel there, you know, you stick a, something kind of flexible and see if it just doesn't go down a couple inches and stop. Then you've got n- nothing that you need to worry about. Okay, it does seem like there was one, and I I did tunnel it. I put a straw in it, and it it went pretty far. Okay, so it just went. Did it go straight down or did it go horizontal? <clears throat> it tunneled. Yeah, it went horizontal. Okay, so probably. You know, I mean, voles, they're really kind of lazy. They're not diggers. And they usually, if it's going to be a vole tunnel, then what it is is going to be underneath shrubs. It's not going to be out in the open yard. Okay, these are in the open yard, in the open garden. Yeah, so my guess is it's probably mole tunnels, even if you don't have the elevated, you know, area. So, I, you know... There's nothing else that's going to really be digging around. No chipmunks or chick, chip monks or any of that kind of stuff are going to bother doing that. I okay, s- it seems like all of our yards have have them out, out here. Yeah. So other than um, what do you do, fun? <laughs> well, if it is moles, you know, if you got the surface tunnels, that's where they feeding, and the one that's below it is the one where. They basically go back to their sleeping den and all that other stuff. That you know, if you got piles of dirt there around this hole, then you probably got moles, and then it's going to be yeah. traps. Right? There aren't piles. There aren't piles. Me. So I still think it's squirrels. Okay, we'll we'll pin it on the squirrels this time. <laughs> I have two real quick questions. Um, little red are those mites? 
that are on um I have a day lily they're on the mite leaves is that from the rain or what do you spray that with uh if you if you have spider mites basically day lilies don't get spider mites for the most part um okay so they might be you know who knows what you know without seeing them it's a little tough so if you want to spray some insecticidal soap, you can, but I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Daylilies are really tough. There's not too many insects that are going to do too much to them. Okay, and one more quick question. Um, I have floribunda roses, and they're beautiful, but when it seems like when they're, when they're ready to bloom or they're blooming, they dry up. Hmm, are you fertilizing? Uh, probably not as much as I should. Yeah, you should use rose food. So okay. if they're and just make sure they don't go through any kind of drought stress. If they're underneath the eave of your house and stuff, it might be rain related moisture. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that could be. Thank you so much. Thanks for sending the sun today. Yep. Sorry, mm-hmm. I can't come up with some sort of a thing for the holes in your yards all hmm. over South County. Anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sure. Mike day. Miller, KM Marks Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, so back to the holes in the yard in South County or, or wherever it happens to be. There's generally not going to be something that's just going to dig holes in, you know, even they don't dig in the, you know, going down and then tunnel away from that. It's, you know, it's like what the moles do. They start underground and that's where they, I mean, they keep going. So... Other than squirrels, that's the only thing I see that digs holes in yards. You know, they usually dig it in areas where it's the soft, it's, you know, easier to dig. But um, they basically are, you know, I'm, this lady said she, they, there was a tunnel. She used a straw and everything else. So the only thing I can think of has got to be moles. But anyway, let's go back to the phones and let's head over to Wes's yard. Hi, Wes. Hey, good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. So one is on hummingbird feeders, what do you suggest as far as how often you change that uh, water? I would say if it's, you know, if it's been out there for a couple of days, you haven't had any hummingbirds, then uh, I would go ahead and ch- just change it out. So so every couple of days? Yeah, I would, you know, it, just, it really depends. I should ask Brian Kelly because he's, you know, you know, I've done them with you basically – you know, probably, uh, you know, maybe every seven days or so, because it can just get kind of, I don't want to say fermented, but yeah, that's what I think. Okay, great. And then my second question is around orchids. So we got a, an orchid last year, and it was, you know, obviously beautiful. Um, then uh, we have been having a hard time kind of getting it to bloom again. So when I when I did a little research, I moved it from where we had it because it I think it was getting a little bit too much sun and, and, and uh, cold on a window ledge. And it seemed to do better where we got a couple of buds that are trying to flower. Um, but it's still almost like not really like, you know, flourishing. So um, I'm looking to like transplant it into a pot that has the holes on the side so that the roots can breathe and all of that sort of thing. What is so? What what do you recommend as far as the timing on when to kind of repot uh, an orchid? Is any time a good time, or is there certain times that it's better than others? Now, is this an orchid that's growing in bark, or is it growing in potting mix? It's growing in potting mix. Okay, so it's a one that basically grows in the ground. Those can be a little tough. I would be very careful. Don't put it in a pot that's bigger. You know, it wants to be pot-bound. That really helps it to sort of trigger the flowering. 
I would leave it alone, get some orchid food, and you know, follow the label as far as related to fertilizing. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. And let's see. Let's go over to Sam's yard. Hi, Sam. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. I have a question. I have a lawn that for 15 years I've done nothing to. Three weeks ago I put down a weed and feed for the very first time. So my question is, since it's been so neglected, should I really over-fertilize or weed and feed multiple times or just do like a spring, summer, fall application? Yeah, don't overdo anything. It's just like, you know, overeating. So over-fertilizing is going to be to the disadvantage of your lawn just in general. So just I would wait and go ahead. Is it a... Do you know what kind of lawn it is? Fescue is a cool season lawn, or is it fescue, or is it zoysia? Do you know? It's not zoysia. I know okay. that. So basically, when we get around to fall till you know September, get a machine or get a lawn service to come out and do core aeration. Follow that up with compost, and then start a you know a new program. You can put some seed down at that time, but uh, don't overdo it with chemicals. You want to get the soil kind of revibrated. Or revibrate, okay. yeah. So okay, sounds great. Appreciate it. Yep, and let's see. Thank you. And Bill, could you do it like in really quickly? Yes, reddish brown leaves on the lawn, uh, fescue lawn. It could be a fungus. Get down and take a look at it real close, or take some of the blades that have the reddish. You know, it sounds like you know. Take it to your favorite garden center. Have them take a look at it. All right. Good, you know, good luck with that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't think we can squeeze in another call. But uh, yeah, whenever you're getting something that looks, you know, that kind of sounds like a rust that's growing on his lawn, and it's with all this rain and everything else we've had. If you don't have a really well drained soil, then you could have you know fungus problems. And this is you know a rust basically is just a fungus is all it is. Other things that you need to be concerned with just in your own landscape is the rainfall. You know, like I said, if there's too much rain or if there's not enough rain, your plant material can suffer as a result of that. So just realize that if you start to see some wilting, um, you make sure that it's not just, you know, from over or underwatering. It might be from overwatering because the root system is impacted adversely as a result of that. So other things that you need to be thinking about, well, the, basically enjoy the birds you know, not necessarily, let's say, the hummingbirds, but most of the birds will help with insect control. And this is a time of year, if you've got your annuals out there, go ahead and get them on, you know, make sure that you routinely fertilize them because that's how you're going to get the best production from, a, let's say, a flowering standpoint. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly. Yes, sir. We found out Schaeffelera is the Schaeffelera, yeah. Oh, Schaeffelera. Schaeffelera is how Sue, is it? You're the expert. Is she? Okay. Okay. Good job, Sue. And also, I had a question about, a gentleman called about 
you know, how often should you change the liquid in your hummingbird feeder? The feeders? hummingbird feeders. Now, how often do you change yours? I'll change mine about every three or four days. See, that's what I said, every yeah. couple of days. Yeah, the thing now, there, there aren't a whole lot of them around yet. Right. So I don't put a whole lot in there. And so if you don't put a lot in, then they can kind of empty it themselves, and you just got to make sure they don't run out. Right. Uh, and don't be surprised. Like, we had our first couple come in about three weeks ago. And then they had hardly, you know, basically nothing for right. a week. So don't freak out and think, oh, they don't like my food, because I used to do that. <laughs> so you didn't make the food right. And it's like, no, it's just the way it is. Right. So there, and now we've got several of them. And, uh, again, so you just make it uh, enough that it'll last them a couple, couple of days. days and right. then later on, you won't have to empty them because they should empty it themselves. You right. can fill them up. Exactly, because yeah. you don't want it to ferment. So. Right. Well, uh, they might like that. I don't know. <laughs> Drunken hummingbird. Hey. That sounds wild. Wow, that would be dangerous. Well, great. Well, thanks yeah. for your insight, because oh, that's what welcome. I said every couple of days, and the gentleman thought that was a little bit too soon. And I said, well, you could probably try to wait for a week, but I didn't even yeah. think about just you know partially filling it until you start to see more and more hummingbirds. Yeah, that's what we try to do. Just put enough in there. You can kind of see it come up into the bottle a little bit, right. and that should last a couple of days for them. Great. Well, so. perfect. Well, yeah. thanks. You're welcome. And folks, by the way, thanks for having me on your show where we're here to discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs for annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is across the big board. He's producing. He's the one who answers the phone, and he just wants your first name and where you're calling from. Uh, during the week and on weekends, I spend my time doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk, where I can come to your home and we can talk about uh, problem solving, aesthetics, or whatever it happens to be. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is. You can call if you want, but the email is probably a little bit easier because sometimes phone tag back and forth can take a little bit of time. And I'll come to your home and share 40-plus years' experience and as it relates to landscape design, plants, cares, maintenance, and all that other stuff. The tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, I'll tell you what, people are out appreciating the trees more than ever. I see in our neighborhood so many people walking. So arborists and municipal foresters, in, in conjunction with Missouri Community Forest Council, have partnered with Forest Relief of Missouri, the Great Rivers Greenway, and the Missouri Department of Conservation to, be, to better connect residents in the cities, you know, city, not just these city, not, with their urban forest. So start looking for brightly colored signs on the trees, which will identify the tree species. I mean, a lot of times I can be out in the yard working and somebody will come by and they'll have taken a picture of a tree that they saw while they were walking and asking me, "Do you, can I help them identify this tree? And so this is actually taking it one step further. So Forest Relief of Missouri, uh, basically the executive director, Meredith Perkins, and it's beyond the basics. It's cleaning our air and everything else, just how crucial the trees actually are. So the signs will start popping up, identifying the individual trees in Brentwood, 
Webster Groves, Kirkwood, Richmond Heights, St. Peter's, Washington, Missouri, the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County, the campuses of the University of Missouri of St. Louis, Merrimack Community College, Washington University, Powder Valley Nature Center, and the August A. Bush Memorial Conservation Area as well. So this is really kind of a unique thing where we're going to have identification. You know, if you go to the Botanical Garden, you can get it there, but this is going to be just in public areas. I think that is really kind of neat. Right now in our neighborhood, a couple of things people have brought pictures to me. Uh, one was a dogwood, and it's a kusa dogwood. The kusa dogwood is a Japanese version of the dogwood that we have naturally. The petals are white, but they're pointed, so they're blooming right now. Another one was a red chestnut, which is in bloom right now. So there's a couple different things, and a hornbeam tree. So, I mean, it would be neat to, you know, start to see some signs on some of these trees. Help people just in general to enjoy their walk and everything else. So, why don't we go ahead and take a call or two before we take a break. Let's, how about heading over to Janet Yard. Hi, Janet. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yes, I have a old uh, pine tree in my front yard. And the bottom half of it, all the branches seem to be dying. The top seems to be doing great. Probably what's happening is the top branches are overgrowing the bottom ones, so they're shadowing it out, the bottom ones. So consequently, the tree says, you're not helping my health, so it's just compartmentalizing it, and that's why they're dying off. Well, the upper is real narrow, though. It's weird. I don't know. It, and it's mainly on just one side. Well, it's, it's got to be related to sun. So it's, you know, the amount of sun it's getting, even if it's narrow, when you go into a, like a pine forest or something, you're going to basically not see any lower branches whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Thank you. <laughs> sure. So it's you know it's nothing out of the ordinary. This is what you know can happen, and certain sometimes it's going to be variety related too. But my guess is it's still you know the side that's losing the branches is one that's getting less sun than the other one. So let's get another call in and go to Carrie's yard. Hi, Carrie. Hi. 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 How are you? Good. Um, I have a hydrangea that I planted in the ground. It's on the east side of the house, and it grows, but it never blooms, and I do feed it. And I'm thinking it might be too wet in that area, so I was going to put it in a pot. I've read that if you do that, you have to wait again for it to bloom. How how does that work? Basically, now, uh, does the foliage look good and everything? Uh, When it initially comes up right now, it is green and everything looks good. We have had problems with sometimes it getting that... uh, Rusty look to it like it's getting too much water. Um, so that's why I'm thinking it might, it just might be too wet. Well, if it's too wet and it's been in for a couple years, it wouldn't be able to survive because hydrangeas don't like wet soil. Okay. So my guess is it's exposure as much as anything. Are you pruning? I haven't had to. Okay. It's, it's not very big. <laughs> <laughs> so it may be variety wise, it may just be the overall health. It may be the location. I mean, that might be part of it. But uh, I don't think necessarily thinking it's because the soil's wet because they cannot survive in wet soils, regardless okay. of the variety. I mean, there's all kinds of different types of hydrangeas, but they don't. 
you know, it's it could be light, it could be the amount of sun, it could be various other factors as well, but I don't think it's necessarily just wet soil. So uh, putting it in a pot and getting it, because it doesn't get, it gets morning sun, but then what I'm wondering is maybe it's not getting enough sun for it to bloom. Well, that, I mean, that could be part of it. Putting it in a pot, you're going to have to make sure that it's a you know ample-sized pot because it's going to spin in the pot for the wintertime, I'm assuming. And yeah. then, it's, you know, if it doesn't have protection all the way around, the root system can freeze. Yeah, then I have to bring it in. Yeah, I know. That's, oh, yeah, that's you can't, yeah, you can't yeah. bring it in. Yeah. Well, we're, we're trying to find another spot to put it in the yard, but, but we're trying to figure out how much sun does it really need to actually bloom. Well, what you could do is look at the oak leaf hydrangea, which likes very, it does, I mean, they can grow pretty much in the shade. It's not going to be the classic hydrangea snowball look or anything, but yeah. uh, you might look at that. I don't know. I mean, there's so many different varieties of like the PG hydrangea is a round, you know, white one. It blooms in the springtime. It was a blue. I know it was blue. It was I just bought oh. it at a local uh, hardware store, I think, and. Uh, it did bloom when I first got it, and right. then the last three years it has hardly done anything. Well, the, and I just did, I just didn't know if I needed to move it to a sunnier spot. If that's the reason why it's it's happening, I think it's just genetic as much as anything. I don't think mm. the blue ones and the pink ones just don't do all that well here. They're more of a really? yeah, they're more of a florist type plant as hmm. opposed to. I mean, there are some. You know, people are going to potentially call in and say, I've had great success, blah, blah, blah. But in the time that the people have had great success, thousands of them have not been successful. Hmm. That's interesting because, I mean, they're all over the, the local stores. So sure. that's, why I was, <laughs> that's why I was like, well, but it, it, it did really well and, got, and, and, and did bloom. And then I was reading that if you move it, then you have to wait a whole year for it to bloom again because of the root system. Yeah, I mean that's you know part of the problem. But again, it's it's variety related. So moving it, putting it in a pot or anything else is not going to guarantee that you're going to get flowers on it. Hmm. Okay. All right. Do you also recommend any kind of tree to put in an area that does get get water uh, in in that area? Well, it all depends. I mean, there's a sweet bay magnolia, which is a type of magnolia that can take wet soil, that can grow, uh, I mean, flowers in the the summertime. And uh, there's, I mean, there's black gums. There's, it just depends upon how big the area is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the name of it, sweet gum magnolia? No, black gum. I'm sorry, black gum. Black gum is a tree. And then also sweet bay magnolia. Okay, we'll look at those. All right. All right, thank you. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head over to Bill's yard. Bill, how are you today? Well, I'm, I'm doing good because I got some, some stuff done, but I I would like to uh, see how you could patent a plant. I got uh, bonsai uh, peonies or pineys, whichever part you're from. I know it's weather-related, but how can I help them to uh, maintain their full potential? I think I've got one bloom on one and two on another. Now, why do you think they're bonsai? Well, they're not very high. Oh. (laughs) 
Uh, so, so tongue-in-cheek satire, I think. Oh, I see. <laughs> I thought maybe. So what you're trying to do is just, to, you know, how long have they been in the ground? Oh, they've been in the ground probably since 88 or so. Oh, here. really? Mm-hmm. And so you're just not getting the flowering off of them? And, and they're not growing I'm very high because I'm sure it's due to the wet weather. That could be this year because they've grown oh, tall yeah. in the past. What you might, you know, consider is basically, you know, I, do you have multiple ones? Uh, I have two of them. Okay, I would try, you know, just pull the mulch back and just gently pull the soil away from, you know, and find out how deep they've been planted. So maybe they've been planted okay. too deeply. And then the second question I have is. We were given for Mother's Day a Monrovia Force Pansy Redbud. Is there anything special I got to do with that? No, that's, you know, Monrovia is just a big production nursery out of California. So it's a redbud tree, is, you know, hardy in this region. So basically nothing out of the ordinary. Okay, thank you for reassuring me. Sure, <laughs> sure my pleasure. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yep. And now let's go over to Jay's yard in South City. Hi, Jay. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I have banana trees. Uh, I have a banana tree forest, actually. I'm curious about the uh, new sprouts that come up. Uh, I have basically just cut them down because the, the trees have thickened so much. How would I go about actually – can I dig the sprouts up uh, – what would you suggest along those lines? I'd like to give a couple away and move some. Uh, so, the, I mean, you have them in pots or you have them in the ground? Oh, no, they're in the ground. Okay. And I don't take them at all. They've been in the ground for like six years. So I started you, with Now I have about a dozen. That, I mean, that's great. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be a little bit tough to, you know, you're going to have to pull the soil back because what they do is all the sucker growth to create this, you know, multiple stems coming off the one plant is attached to the major, you know, let's say the mother plant. So you're going to have to dig right. down and then cut away right where it starts, you know, where it's attached to the mother plant, then let that dry, put it in a potting mix for starting plant material and kind of keep your fingers crossed. Okay. What about possibly, uh, could I try sticking these in water? No, uh, with... don't bother. They don't want no? oh. bananas. Basically, you're going to rot them. Okay. Very good, I guess. Thank you. <laughs> sure. So you got to grow them in a potting mix, you know, for starting plants. But also, after you make the cutting, make sure that that, you know, the one, the, the division that you've taken has healed over and it's not really wet and sticky when you put it into the new pot that you're going to try to, let's say, grow it in and slash give it away. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Mike. Sure. And now let's head over to Curtis' yard. Hi, Curtis. Hey, good morning, Mr. Miller. Thank you for taking my call this sure. morning. I was calling because I have some Tropicana bulbs that I planted uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm hoping I planted them correctly. Some of the bulbs are maybe an inch long. Some of them were as long as maybe six inches long. And I planted them roots down with just a little bit of the bulb at the tip or will be the top sticking out of the soil. Um it's in loose soil at the bottom, so it, so they drain, but then I got to pack the soil around it using just a regular flower uh, soil mix. 
And I'm wondering how long should it take? One, did I plan them correctly, or should I plan them deeper and cover the whole thing over? And two, about when should those things, should I expect them to start seeing them uh, sprout or grow or whatever? Well, I wouldn't necessarily fool around with pulling them up and putting them back you know, in. But you should probably have about two inches of soil over the top of the tuber. So in other words, oh. that would be ideal. And it's going to take a couple weeks unless the temperatures, which are they are going to get, you know, really warm because that's what that's what's going to be triggering the growth. I put my cannas in pots probably, um, let's say, three, maybe three, three plus weeks ago. And just now I'm starting to see them push out the growth, but it's been very cool and rainy. So that's slowed the process down. So you're just going to have to be patient as far as expecting the new growth to occur. Okay, but I should go ahead and just add a couple more inches, a couple inches of soil over the top of them then, and then it is just, and I don't mind waiting because that's what I want for things to come in in stages. Right. Uh, well, I appreciate you again, Mike. I really appreciate the show, and I'm so thankful to my friend Suzanne who told me about your show a couple of years ago because this is my Saturday morning routine is listening to you. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on your show. All right, have a good one, sir. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. And let's go to Bethalto and into Ben's yard. Hi, Ben. Hey, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Hey, I got a couple ash, tree, uh, ash trees out here that was planted about two or three. And uh, this summer is when they, when they, when they bloomed out, uh, the leaves are turning black on the ends. Is that the boars? No, it's not the emerald ash borer. Emerald ash borer basically kills the entire branches. It just doesn't, you know, let's say cause damage to individual, you know, foliage or leaves. So well, I've, been treat, I've been treating it with uh, tree and shrub every year. Yeah. So. You probably, I mean, you're, you're probably getting a little bit more extreme than you need to. They're probably pretty tough. Probably, you know, it's weather related. This, I don't know if you heard me, but the sycamores throughout the entire region are losing leaves, but some of the ash trees are too. So the discoloration on the tip is going to be weather related more so than anything else. Okay. I thank you for your service. And hey, also on these, uh, I don't, I don't know what to call them. Naked ladies. Oh, sure. Uh, when, after they bloom or after the, the foliage, leaves or do i mow them down or what do i do with them yeah once the foliage starts turning brown you can cut them down and then the flower stalk will come up in august okay thank you sir yep mike miller mike miller k and west garden hotline back after these messages welcome back to the st louis composting garden hotline once again mike miller on kmox yes folks out to st peter's and we're going into jim's yard hi jim Morning, Mike. Uh, questions about tulips. Planted a thousand bulbs last year. Had Whoa. beautiful blooms. Yeah, a lot of work. Uh, good price on a clearance. Uh, beautiful flowers this year. I'm um, leaving the foliage die back. If I leave them in the ground, am I going to have any luck uh, next spring with bulbs coming back? It's you know they'll probably come back, but as far as flowering goes, it's going to be iffy. Because they've been over-hybridized, they've been overproduced, so the actually durability as far as coming back year after year after year has been sort of reduced. So it's going to be, you know, I want—I don't want to say keep your fingers crossed, but that's probably the best thing to do. Okay, I'm leaving the foliage uh, feed the bulbs as long as it's right. green. That's exactly then, right. 
Okay, then pick them up and put them in the uh, paper bags? No, you can just leave them in the ground. Just cut off the foliage and just leave them. Let them go. Okay, but if I wanted to ensure the bulbs, would I pull them and winterize them in the garage? You could do that, but that's still not going to guarantee you're going to get blooms next year. Oh, okay. So you're going to dig dig them up and then replant them in, let's say, October or something. Yeah, but because of the extreme hibernization, that means it's still going to be iffy whether they bloom next year. Exactly, right. The longevity factor as far as reblooming has been really, you know, cut down. You can go through older neighborhoods and see tulips have, you know, by abandoned houses have probably been there for decades and will still come back. But uh, the newer ones just don't seem to have that ability. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Sure. Thank you. And now let's go to Mike in South City. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Let's just talk to you. I've got some peonies. I've uh, beautiful white and red ones. The question is, uh, could I crossbreed those? No. It's going to be way more trouble than what you ever want to be involved in. So, in other words, putting pollen from one to the other is not going to give you, uh, let's say, a pink because you got right. red and white. No, it's okay. not going to happen. Okay, it's not possible. No. Okay. Well, that that takes care of my question. I uh, I actually saved them all from the winds and the rains we've had. I've got neighbors that's got a few peonies from Mike, and I've got some daughters that's got some from Mike. So they turned out to be beautiful flowers this year. Well, this was a perfect year for them, that's for sure. Right. Okay, Mike, thank you very much for your show. Sure. Thank you for having me on your show. Let's head over to Chris's yard now. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Yes, I had a uh, couple of quick questions. First relates to a hydrangea. I uh, applied some aluminum sulfide at the beginning of the year in order to bring the blue color out. Do I, uh, can I, or should I apply it on uh, multiple times throughout the year or just once at the beginning of the year? Uh, so you've, this one was a blue one and you're just trying to return it or try to keep the blue going? Is that what you're doing? Well, actually, they turned pink, uh, so I wanted to bring the blue back. Yeah, so... That basically probably wouldn't hurt to put it, uh, you know, once a month, you know, every just okay. every so often, so you can keep that chemical, you know, close to the root system, so it can uptake. Okay. Second question relates to roses. Uh, we got some uh, holes on the uh, roses, I guess, where the insects have eaten. Um, and so, what what product do you recommend to apply to the roses? And do you apply to the both the top as well as the bottom of the leaves? You can do that if you're going to do. But whenever you're applying insecticide like what we're talking about to the foliage, it has to basically be in contact with, it has to hit the insect to kill it. So in other words, just a spray is not going to keep the insects either, whether you spray the top of the leaf or the bottom of the leaf, it's not going to guarantee that the insect is going to not come back. What you can do is use something called a systemic insecticide, which you, basically you pour into the ground. It's uptaken by the root system. It goes into the vascular system of the rose. Then when something feeds, it kills it, so you don't have to spray. That's the other option. Okay. In the past, I thought you had recommended some kind of a bonite product for the, uh, this, for the roses. Yeah. I mean, there are several products that work very well. It's just, you know, consequently, they have to come in contact with, unless it's systemic, in contact with the bug or it doesn't do anything. Okay, last question relates to fertilizer for sun patients. Um, 
In the past, we've used miracle Grow. Uh, any particular uh, product that you would recommend? No, I think that's fine. If you had good success with it, I'd stick with it. As always, appreciate your time. Have a great show. Well, Have great. a wonderful, well, wonderful weekend. Well, thanks Goodbye. for having me on your show. And now let's go to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria. Hey, Gloria. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Here I come. Here I come. I wanted to ask you, how you doing this morning? Very good. I want to ask you about hydrangeas. Can you leave them in their pot all year? Uh, and how big's the pot? Huh? How large is the pot? It's a pretty big pot. I pay about fifty dollars for them. So, so in other words, the pot is you know diameter wise is pretty good size. Okay. So if it's a good size pot, then you're probably okay. If you're a little bit worried about it, what you can do is just take the pot that it's growing in and set it in a larger pot and put some mulch around it as a little bit of more insulator. Oh, uh, it'll come and it'll come back. They should, yes. Okay, I got one hydrangea that I was trying to get rid of, and I cut it all the way down to the ground because I couldn't get the wood up. But it's like three feet tall now. Would it flower again? It all depends on variety as much as anything. Sometimes, if you you know, depends upon when it was supposed to flower. If you cut it off, you might have cut the flower buds off. You know, depending upon when you pruned it and what variety it was. Well, the reason I was trying to get rid of it because it was it, it, uh, tree, the tree people messed it up. So, but it's coming back now, real full and you know, green. So, well, sounds great. I, uh, huh? Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. I was just trying to see if I could put. Okay. But do the hydrangeas in a pot. Make sure the pot is a little bigger than the one is in. Absolutely right. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Certainly, my pleasure. And okay, now bye. let's see. Let's go over to Faye's yard. Hi, Faye. Okay, maybe? Okay, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Hi, Mr. Miller. This is a follow-up on the weed and feed question that you had earlier. Mm-hmm. And I'm new at this. Um, we've got a yard full of clovers, so someone suggested that I try this. Um, I put it down last night. Should I water it? I was hoping it would rain. I mean, does it need to be rained right or water right away? Is this granular? Yes, it is. Okay. So, yeah, you should water it because so, what that does is start the dissolving of the, the the dissolving process. Okay. So go ahead and put the hose out now. Right. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. Yep. My pleasure. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Joe's yard. Joe, how are you? I'm doing fine. I uh, hope you're doing uh, well. I have uh, two questions here. One is in regard to a ver- verburnum. It's actually two that probably a previous owner planted, I would guess, 25 years ago. Whoa. And basically, <laughs> they become a mess. They are... Uh, Big. They're very tall. They they are. They have never been trained, you know, meaning cutting out small ones so that larger uh, 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 larger ones could grow, mm-hmm. uh, and a larger branches. Or uh, the bottom line is is I just would like your general ideas about pruning them and getting them to uh 
looking good again. Now, they did bloom this year, and I think I'd like to keep them. Um, I'm just new to Viburnum, and I'm not sure what to do, and I've never fertilized them. So just your general thoughts. Basically, you know, if you're, I'm assuming they've already, you know, they've already flowered. So if you prune them now, basically the best thing to do as far as pruning goes related to flowering is flower or prune, uh, you know, within a month or or two months after they finish flowering. But after doing that, then you don't get any kind of berry production out of them. But if these are 25 years old and they're huge and they're totally wild and totally crazy, to try to get them back to conform to whatever shape that you want them to be is going to be a long, involved process, and it may not be successful. So you could try it on one and see what happens. But uh, I would probably you know, just take like maybe 20% off and see what happens next year before you prune, off the, or prune the second one. Okay. What about fertilizer? Uh, viburnums generally want an acidic food, so you can, you know, I mean, there's several different companies that make uh, fertilizer for acidic plants, and the best time to start fertilizing them is in the early spring, let's say March, April, May, and probably June you might fertilize them, but, uh, but you could go ahead and... Yes. Okay, so it's it's worth trying. It's sort of chicken soup. It might help, might right, might not. Right. Okay. Second question is is in regard to irises. I have the most beautiful blades that I've had since I've had them out, which was about uh, three seasons ago, and they were good bulbs when I put them in. They are very healthy from the standpoint of the blades, but no blooms. Is it possible that I have them planted incorrectly, meaning too shallow? No, for the most part, no. That's probably not the case. If you've had flowers on them in the past, they I mean, the environment hasn't changed for them. It's probably just genetics as much as anything. Okay. Well, I, I've only had one flower out of a dozen bulbs and this year i have no flowers right so when you say genetics is that what do you recommend um you could try pulling you know dig them up and you know replant them if you want to but it you know now what what variety were these oh boy i don't know i had so many they came from my father's garden down in tennessee and uh, they're just I had them grouped, but I don't know the variety. Right. I think they're purple colored, which most of them are. <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, you give them a try. You know, try to dig them up and see what happens. But uh, I think they're probably kind of at the end of their life, more or less. Oh, uh, well, that, okay, since they're old. Right. I, I have one other thing. I had a crabgrass problem a year ago, and uh, obviously in the yard, and I used Roundup on it, killed all, killed everything, retilled it, put it in. This year, about the time uh, the yellow shrubs came out, I put the pre-emerge on it. That worked. My question is, uh, do I need to put the pre-emerge on it again now? But the grass is beautiful now. So far, nothing has come back up, and I don't want it to. Right. 
basically the pre-emergent is, you know, for the for the crabgrass is when the forsythias in bloom to put it down again, you know, it's not going to really help all that much. You've already killed as many of the seeds, crabgrass seeds as you possibly can. Okay. That's all I got. Thanks so much. Certainly. My pleasure. Let's head over to Tom's yard, and he lives in De Pere. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. Uh, four years ago, we took a, a weeping cherry uh, out of a, an area in our yard that was that it fit perfectly from a decorative perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, we waited. Uh, we took out a, a great deal of the uh, uh, soil around it, cleared all the roots out we could, uh, left it alone for a year, put a replacement plant of weeping cherry in. My wife says I put it too deep that I did I didn't obey your rule about uh, inch or two above the ground for the ball. Right. Um, after two years, it uh, it just was not worth keeping. Uh, it just didn't do well at all. Uh, so the question uh, is, uh, I got it out and it's now been out for no nothing's been in there except the one that I replanted for three years. Uh, do you think it's worthwhile trying again? It's such a Nice area for that type tree. Yeah, I mean, you could give it a try. Just make sure you plant it properly. Three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% is deep. So, I mean, that's really crucial. Okay. Uh, that could have uh, contributed to its uh, demise? Absolutely. Uh, okay. All right, then. Well, I appreciate it very much. Certainly. Bye-bye. Yeah, if you plant, you know, any kind of tree at grade, it could settle, and then moisture could be, you know, it could sink, and then moisture could sit there and cause trouble. So let's go over to Joe's yard, and Joe lives in St. Charles. Hi, Joe. Hello, Joe. Sorry, Joe. Uh, let's see. How about Gene? Hello, Gene. Yeah, it's uh, Steve, not Gene. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Right, no problem. I got like three questions here. And, you got to uh, do them really quickly. We're almost out of time. Well, I've been on. All right. Um, I got uh, a problem with my tomatoes. The squirrels keep eating them or somebody keeps eating the little ones. And so they told me to put cayenne pepper on them. Well, I put cayenne pepper on and somebody told me not to put it on the leaves. So I rinsed it off this morning. And also, uh, I want to know, can I just put it on the ground around there? Yeah, because the squirrel's got to come up. I mean, to put it on the plant is not going to really help at all. Every time it rains or anything, I would say maybe just put some mothballs around them, too. Okay. And real quick, uh, I'm getting ready to fertilize with this miracle Grow, And when you put it in the in the, the applicator, you know, the sprayer. Right. Do you uh, mix it up first? Yeah, I mean, it's you know been... Yeah, it just depends upon what, if it's a liquid one, you've got to, you know, it's a hose in attachment, so it's going to mix it, you know, because water's going to be coming through the hose. I, is that what you're talking about? Or is this a powder? Yeah, but I mean, it's the powder that you put in there, and then you hook it onto the hose, and it's supposed to pre-mix. Right. Then but you should be fine. My mom always mixes hers and uh, then, then hooks the hose onto it. But, you know, sometimes it's blue, and then it's not, and then it's blue, and it's not, and it's sweaters, and... <laughs> You know, I just don't know the correct uh, way to do that. I would say and, I don't know how much you need, but I would just mix it up in a bucket and you know with water and just pour it around the base of the plants. Well, I used to do that, but now I got twenty plants. Oh, you know, so okay, so well, tr- yeah, I mean, give it a try. You shouldn't have to you know pre mix it. Okay, and also, well, I got one more question. If we got time, 
I bought this uh, stuff. Uh, it's called a tomato and vegetable garden, and it's supposed to keep the tomatoes from splitting and rotting at the bottom. It's called 12105. It says I got to use that six, I mean, uh, every six to eight weeks. I put this on like three weeks ago. And all the rain we've had, I still see it sitting on top of the ground. Well, you should mix it in. The, you should mix it in the ground. Also, all you did is add some calcium with tomato fertilizer. So it's a calcium. That's the part that prevents a blossom end rot. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.